0: Welcome to the Read, Talk, Grow podcast, where we explore women's health topics through books. In the same way that books can transport us to a different time, place, or culture, Read, Talk, Grow demonstrates how books can also give a new appreciation for health experiences and provide a platform from which women's health can be discussed At Read, Talk, Grow, we use books to learn about health conditions in the hopes that we can all lead happier, healthier lives. I'm your host, Dr. Denise Milstein. I'm an assistant professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic in Arizona, where I practice women's health internal medicine and integrative medicine. I am always reading and I love discussing books with my patients, my professional colleagues, and now with you. Today, we're talking about wellness, and I am so excited about my two guests. My first guest is Lauren Bosworth, who is the founder and CEO of the total body care brand, Love Wellness. Since launching the company in 2016, she's expanded Love Wellness to include vaginal health, gut health and ingestible beauty low is seeking to change the narrative around self-care culture and empower others to feel supported welcome and safe during their own wellness journeys she lives in new york city and hails from laguna beach california she has a bachelor's degree from ucla and has a culinary arts degree with an emphasis on farm to table cuisine from the international culinary institute Combining lessons from her own health experience with knowledge of a panel of medical experts, her new book is Love Yourself Well, an empowering wellness guide to supporting your gut, brain, and vagina. Our second guest is Dr. Jody Horrin. Jody's a board certified OBGYN practicing in Washington, D.C. She's a graduate of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and the Medical College of Virginia. She completed her residency at the University of Tennessee Medical Center and now is an assistant clinical professor at Georgetown University Medical Center and the Department of OBGYN, where she teaches medical students, residents, and of course her patients about women's health. She combines Holistic and Western medicine to provide the best care to her patients and has recently been a wellness advisor for Love Wellness, as well as a contributor to the book we're discussing today, which once again is Love Yourself Well, out at the end of December 2022 from Day Street Books. Lo and Jody, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you.
2: Thanks for having us. We're so excited and honored. Really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Well, we are really grateful that you're putting this book out into the world because clearly women need this information. So, Lo, let's talk about your backstory in terms of health. So if you'll allow me to, you were living the dream, super successful, doing everything that you wanted to do, and suddenly started to have symptoms that became quite disruptive. Tell us about that.
2: Absolutely. So I moved to New York City in 2012. When I was getting out of a very serious long term relationship, my body started to fail me. I was depressed and anxious for the first time ever, but in a really significant, meaningful way. It felt like it was happening deep within from inside me, deep within my bones. And I continued to have these um, women's health issues as well. I started getting yeast infections and UTIs, and it became a chronic issue for me. I am somebody that is a problem solver. And I am somebody who is also really passionate about biology, women's bodies. So the subject matter is really interesting to me. And I would go to the doctor and I would try to get care for these different types of symptoms. Often I was told, you know, this is just in your head, or this is just stress. And it felt like I should believe that everything was psychosomatic to a certain degree. Right. And it took me many experts and ultimately 18 months to get an initial diagnosis, if you will, that I was actually dealing with really severe vitamin deficiencies. And it's like the light bulb went on for me. I finally had something to connect to that started to explain at least my neurological symptoms. I had really severe B12 and D deficiencies. And if you let those go on for long enough, it can lead to anxiety, depression, all of the things that I was experiencing. The big question mark though remained for me on the vaginal health and intimate care side of the house Why was I experiencing these neurological issues, but also these personal care issues, right? And that took me an even longer journey over many, many years, you know, through the development of Love Wellness, in fact, to understand ultimately the interconnectivity of the gut to the brain and the vagina. And so that's what the book is really about. It tells my own story of my health challenges and what I had to do to overcome them, It also tells the story of why I started my company and how I really did it. I'm just so excited for the book to really serve almost as a textbook or a guidebook that is easy to understand for women that really teaches them about whole body wellness, but that really, you know, the gut serves as really the most I don't want to say the most important piece of the puzzle, but maintaining that microbiome, you know, supports brain health, supports vaginal health. And so we really consider all three of those organs on that access to be, you know, critical pillars of women's health in general. So I'm really excited to share the story and to get the information out there.
0: It's so fantastic. Jody. tell us a little bit about how common it is to have an experience like Lowe's where she's had these UTIs, which are treated with antibiotics, and she gets a yeast infection, which is treated with antifungals, but then the yeast infection comes back. Is this the first time you've ever heard this
1: story? Absolutely not. This is so common. And I think with lowest experience, it always feels better when patients have a diagnosis, even if it's not something that they wanna hear, but they're relieved because like you said, you're attaching your symptoms to something and you, you know, it's not psychosomatic, but sometimes it's difficult to figure out exactly what's going on. People present with these symptoms and then it's kind of this broad differential diagnosis. And then it's up to the patient and the doctor to kind of narrow down those symptoms do the right lab work or imaging test and then kind of figure out what's going on. But sometimes it can take a while and that's why this book is really important for patients to learn about their bodies, be hyper aware of their symptoms so that when they do talk to their doctor about what's going on, it is a true dialogue. You can be your own self advocate and then along with your doctor can figure out what's going on, but it can, it can be a very frustrating experience.
0: And I love how you framed that because often we'll see women who have UTI and the sort of easiest, quickest thing to do is prescribe an antibiotic, Mm -hmm. but you could be doing a disservice if you don't back out and say, what's the whole picture here?
1: Exactly. Especially if they're recurrent urinary tract infections or yeast infections, vaginal infections, it's important to look at what the cause is, not just treat the symptoms because you're right. You can do more harm.
0: Lo, I like how you spoke to the issue of vitamin deficiency, which can be incredibly common. I think for me as a physician reading your book, what bothered me is how long it took for you to have that detected. Since the truth is these are very routine, conventionally available, covered by insurance if you have insurance. Labs that can be done by your primary care, your OBGYN. Uh, Really, most physicians or healthcare professionals could have ordered these well earlier in your journey.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We actually speak to this in the book in part one. We speak about empowered self-advocacy and there's a very interesting couple of sentences in the book that talks about advocating for your health in the female body and the history of women's health. And in the late 19th century, hysteria was really the cause of a malfunctioning uterus and the solve was marital sex, pregnancy, childbirth, rest. (laughs) And so I think, you know, that diagnosis and that guide, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, that definition of hysteria was used by psychiatrists in the United States until 1980. And so as a female patient in a female body, I think that all of us are still trying to advocate for ourselves when we go to the doctor. We're trying to be heard. It's Incredibly disappointing to me as well that a simple blood test that could have given me that initial diagnosis and helped me avoid so much, you know, pain and suffering wasn't done early on. But I think the good outcome here is that I have been able to turn my experience into something that is tangible and real so that other women hopefully can avoid that type of experience. One of the things that I talked to Dr. Horton about a lot is it's become very clear to us that there is this interconnectivity between the gut, brain, and vagina. And why is it that if I'm having a UTI, right, or a vaginal health issue, that the medical community isn't looking at the broader picture? It's an interesting conversation that we have a lot. And I also say, you know, why is a brand doing this work? Why isn't Big Pharma doing it? Or, you know, somebody else talking about this. Why are we doing this work? Dr. Horton and I talked about this yesterday is that, medicine is an evolving practice right what we know now is not what we knew in 1800 or in 1980 right (laughs) and so it is really fascinating to me as you know the founder of the company but also somebody who deeply cares about the subject matter it's just fascinating that sort of we are coming to the table with this evidence-based information versus somebody else
0: I completely agree with you. It's the reason that Mayo Clinic is invested in the Women's Health Center and has clinical work and research and education in women's health for these very reasons. To your point, women were excluded from scientific studies outside of fertility and childbirth until the 1990s the 1990s i mean i don't want to say how old i was but yeah i was you know an adult in the <laughs> 1990s right so it it is don't you think jodi it's just crazy to imagine that there was a time that that was thought to be okay for women in general and then when you start right. to look at women of color they've been excluded yeah. from this for the entire time right right one
1: study with Men or limited group can't apply to everybody. To go back to what Lauren was saying, this hysteria concept of just attributing any type of pain or ailment or anything experienced by women, by women can be attributed to their female organs or a mental disorder is still kind of lingering. I see it in the ER when people come in with abdominal pain, automatically, if someone has a vagina... OBGYN is called. There's so many other organs inside the belly. You know, there's the kidneys, there's the stomach, the bowels, the pancreas, the spleen. (laughs) There's so many other things, the muscle, and none of that's explored. We're automatically called. It has to be the vagina, it has to be the uterus. And that's not always the case. And so again, self-advocacy, being hyper aware of your body and the symptoms that you're having, it's going to help you find out what is really truly going on. I don't want to spoil the book for future
0: readers, but you tell a great story in the book about being called to see a patient for cervical motion tenderness. And when you got to see the patient, they didn't even have a cervix. So clearly even, they didn't have- Yes.
1: I was like, are you kidding me? This is insane. Yeah. All they see is you're female, so it's got to be your vagina. <laughs>
0: Yeah, one of the quotes from the book as well that I'll paraphrase is that, though you're making an effort to destigmatize talking about women's health topics. And as a carry on to what you said about the business side is I love how you say that your approach is to say, why exactly? So if we know women are supposed to wear white cotton underwear, why exactly is that? And really pulling that apart to say, what's the importance there? I guess I opened the can of worms. So Jody, do you tell women <laughs> to wear white cotton
1: underwear when they have vaginal irritation? I definitely tell people to be cognizant of what they're wearing and where they're buying their underwear, what type of things that they should look for, cotton, bamboo. I'm not sure if I've ever said white specifically <laughs> because if they're like me, I'm someone who buys a lot of underwear for whatever reason. <laughs> cotton crotch you have recurrent vaginal infections maybe avoid thongs or g-strings look for breathable fabrics so yeah if someone's got recurrent issues then you got to start looking at what you're doing or what you're wearing that may be contributing to those things
0: you guys spend a little or low you'd spend a little bit of time in the book talking about thongs specifically and really revisiting you know what is this for is it really that important to get rid of your panty lines especially if you're dealing with some irritation it's not that nobody should ever wear a thong it's just that if you're struggling with that irritation think about that as part of the picture
2: absolutely that's one of the things though that i'm like dr horton why is a thong bad? And we explain in the book, right? Bacteria in the gut and the vagina engage in behavior that we are calling bacteria crosswalk, where they walk across the perineum from the anus, which is connected to the gut, to the vagina urinary tract. And then bam, like that's why you're getting a UTI or that's why you're getting BV. So that's why you might want to consider a different type of underwear or undergarment. So Dr. Horton is here to tell us why, and I'm here to ask us, but why? (laughs) I want to know, right? And when you have information broken down in a simple, straightforward way, that that reduces stigma and shame. You're just like, oh, I understand. It's just my body. It's just science. It's just biology. It's just bacteria. It's just cells. That's when women start to become much more comfortable with a subject matter when they actually understand it on a fundamental and basic level.
0: Well, you comment in the book about what percentage of women actually don't know their own anatomy. And it is shocking how many women don't know what the anatomy actually is or have ever looked. I mean, there, I think, I hope there's a movement to encourage women to learn, to look, to understand, but that too is pretty new. Yeah.
1: I was shocked. I remember I read an article. It was upwards to 45% of women were not able to identify their female anatomy and you have to think back to when we learned all this, it was probably in fourth grade when we didn't understand anything about our bodies or probably even thinking about our bodies and how much changes we've gone through since we were nine years old. You know, you start your period, you start developing breasts and, you know, all these changes in hormones. And it's not until something starts going wrong, you're like, mm, what is actually happening again? Because there's that stigma, no one's really going to talk about it. It's funny because I always seem to be like favorite for parties because I do, like I, I talk about my job and they're like, oh my gosh, you're saying vagina or vulva, or you're talking about like bodily functions. And then people like, start telling their stories and they start feeling comfortable because I'm like, yes, this is normal. This is what happens to our body. It's not all of our genitalia is external, like a guy. So, you know, you've got to do more exploration. You have to learn more about what's going on for sure. Let's talk a bit about leakiness. So
0: leaky gut, leaky brain, leaky vagina, in terms of the microbiome, you do a great job of really framing, like you said, the crosswalk and the importance let's start with the gut because that clearly is at the center of our microbiome, though not the only, but definitely at the center. And in your course of dealing with your illness, you got a lot of antibiotics, you were actually ingesting and being exposed to a lot of things. Talk about what that meant as part of the importance of getting to a place of being well again.
2: Absolutely. So I had, uh, like I said, a couple of things going on, right? I had vitamin deficiencies and then I kept getting these recurrent vaginal infections. And ultimately it was pointed out to me that I most likely had some kind of gut health issue. I was probably dealing with leaky gut, which is generally, we believe, caused by food sensitivities, specifically gluten, antibiotic overuse, ingesting different types of, sugars, alcohol, pesticides, right? Like we live in 2022. It's hard to avoid having leaky gut, frankly, if you don't really know about it. I also think it's challenging to a certain degree in the medical community because there's still a lot of like anecdotal evidence about leaky gut, right? Some of it is evidence-based, but a lot of it is anecdotal. But for me, I believed that my issues ultimately were being caused by my gut. I couldn't absorb my nutrients well because I was having a gut health issue, right? It was trickling down and becoming vaginal health issues. Just, we talked about bacterial crosswalk. I'm also fascinated by the concept of quorum sensing, which is bacteria in the gut and the vagina engaging together. You can think about it and we talk about it in the book. Imagine it is like teen bacteria in the gut and the vagina texting each other. And if the gut and the bacteria are out of whack because you just took an antibiotic, they're gonna tell the vagina and the bacteria to also be out of whack. And then your pH might get thrown out of balance and then that invites any yeast infection. And so once I understood that leaky gut could sort of trickle up and trickle down and create a whole host of issues within the body, really for me, that's when I understood as a founder of this business the types of products that we wanted to make and the types of categories that we wanted to be into. And so we try every day to teach and educate women that all of these systems are interconnected, but it starts with the gut. Being a human in 2023 is, is challenging just because of all of the things that we're dealing with and facing every day, right? You know, from the food that we consume to the types of products that we're putting in and on our body. It's hard to be a human. Our microbiomes are constantly being disrupted.
0: I really like how you framed all of that because you're right that the concept of leaky gut, I think has a terminology issue in conventional medicine, but we all understand it, that there are things that we ingest or are exposed to that make our gut less robust. And there is definitely evidence that it has to do with these tight junctures. And I just want to restate the elements that you said that can loosen those junctures. So you mentioned food additives, pesticides, which are on a lot of our healthy foods actually, but they've been raised with pesticides. Other things are alcohol, which we've done a couple episodes about women and alcohol, something I think that we all need to be revisiting. And then uh, over-the-counter pain medications, NSAIDs like ibuprofen or naproxen can also loosen those junctures. So if you're the person who gets a headache and pops uh, ibuprofen, you might want to rethink that in terms of what's the downstream effect on your gut health. Other things, of course, one of which is stress. So let's shift to talking a bit about loving the brain and your approach to that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. For me, the addition of the brain and sort of looking at the brain from a brand perspective has happened more recently. And it's because when I was dealing with my depression and anxiety at first, I was taking a lot of traditional SSRIs and Klonopin and and stuff like that. And those medications absolutely remain incredibly important and have a place in people's life. I think what's interesting though is that the brain does not have a microbiome, <laughs> so we're talking about all these microbiomes, but the brain doesn't have one, but it does have the blood-brain barrier. and you can sort of think about it in the same way as you think about the gut wall, right? The blood-brain barrier has these tight junctures, but we believe that they can be penetrated by bad guys, things that are leaking out of the gut, toxins, chemicals, et cetera, and can possibly penetrate that blood-brain barrier because of their size, right? So if you think about certain medications or cocaine, as an example, right? Those molecules are small enough to penetrate the blood brain barrier. And some of the things that are escaping that leaky gut that can get into the bloodstream are also small enough to penetrate that blood brain barrier. And we believe that that can cause mood disorders and what we are calling sort of leaky brain. And so brain health ultimately is supported by a healthy diet and probiotics, which boosts production and delivery of happy hormones. Most of your happy hormones are made and produced in your gut. And it's your gut microbiome that is telling that organ make more serotonin and send it to the brain. Right. (laughs) And the serotonin is also small enough to get through those junctures in the blood brain barrier. So just like it trickles down, it, it trickles up. Well, and
0: you talk quite a bit about sleep and the importance of sleep. We live in a go-go-go society where many people don't take the time to sleep or their brains are so busy that... They really don't get into those deep, restful phases of sleep. But you say in the book, no sleep, no sweep, which I think is an important mm-hmm. concept that when we don't get into those deep phases of sleep, we really don't get that cleansing that the brain needs overnight.
2: Yeah, absolutely. When we were doing research for the book, the bits on sleep were some of the most interesting things that I learned and I'm still continuing to try to apply to my daily life and, you know, the different phases of sleep and how each phase of sleep is incredibly important. Everyone knows this, right? You get a bad night of sleep. You feel awful the next day. Very easy to identify that, right? Mm -hmm. But it is fascinating to read about, Or learn about what's actually function, like what's actually happening in the brain (laughs) on a nightly basis when you go to bed and how critically important that is to reducing stress and, you know, just overall function. That was something that I was fascinated to learn when we were writing the book.
1: And like you said, it affects the whole body. And as you know, Denise, like, you know, as a physician, I get very interrupted sleep. I feel like I'm chronically fatigued. I cherish those days. If my body tells me I need sleep, Obviously when I'm not working, I take that time because of that importance of sweeping the brain, reducing the cortisol levels, because it does, it affects then your gut, just overall feeling your brain fog, your memory, making good or bad decisions. It just increases inflammation throughout your body. So you hear about how important sleep is, but I don't think people really realize how it affects, you know, you feel bad, but it truly does affect your overall health. And I think that we
0: normalize getting bad sleep. It's Mm -hmm. one thing to get a bad night's sleep and wake up the next day and say, oh, I don't feel very well. But if we're always getting this non-restorative sleep, we start to think this is just how we feel, but we don't feel well. And we don't realize it's because night after night, we are not doing the things that you suggest in the book, which are to just be kinder to your brain, to move away from your phone, Mm -hmm. to get out into nature, to do things that then allow you to get into those you know, more restful nights of sleep. Jody. I want to switch and talk about vaginal health. So there is a list in the book about things not to put in the vagina. And um, (laughs) some of them are easy to identify, but I, I think our listeners would love to hear even more. So the list is surfactants, parabens, and fragrances. Can you tell us where those tend to come up and, and where women should be watching for those and probably sure. avoiding them if they're having issues?
1: If you look at a lot of the products that you're using, I've even told patients to stop using certain types of shampoos just because when they're showering, those products can certainly get on the vulva or the vagina. And this patient was experiencing recurrent vaginal infection. And so it's something that you have to look at it's not only what you're ingesting but also what you're putting on your body that's really important and i think people kind of forget about that and so you want to look at the ingredients of things that you're using those ingredients that you just listed can certainly dry out the vagina change the ph of the vagina so you know a normal vaginal ph is between roughly 3.8 to 4.8 people often use soaps that have dyes or fragrances to mask odors or to make the vagina smell a certain type of way. And this is actually doing more harm. It's getting rid of the normal bacteria, of the vagina that helps you fight infections. And so again, causing more harm than doing good. And so you just have to be cognizant of those type of things. Also make sure that knowing the difference of the vulva, the external female genitalia, if you choose to use a cleanser, make sure you use a pH balance cleanser, something that's very neutral. And then the vagina, it cleans itself. So just like everyone's heard, it's a self-cleaning oven. Let it do its job. Let it do its job. Don't disrupt it. <laughs> the vagina knows what it's doing. <laughs> the vagina knows what it's doing. I think that's going to yes. be our
0: catchphrase for, for the episode. <laughs> it
2: does. It knows what it's doing. It has a brain of its own, right, Dr. Yes, that's, that's right. We told that
1: we were like, oh, yeah, the vagina has a brain. <laughs>
0: It's a fantastic phrase. Well, you know, a lot of self-help books and books that promote wellness, particularly when they come from industry, I feel like they then try to sell you on the products from that company or say, and the only way to achieve wellness is if you buy these 8,000 things from us or sign up for Mm -hmm. our subscription. And Lo, I just really want to express gratitude that when you move into the section on the plan, how to become well, you frame it in terms of, what you eat, what's in your environment, how do you sleep, how are you managing your stress, the vagus nerve, which people will have to get the book to learn more about that, how you move, and also you recommend orgasm very specifically during each week. (laughs) I think it's,
1: yay.
0: (laughs) 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 I I just really appreciated that your book is certainly supported by the company and the products that the company. It makes available to women at a very reasonable price point at a high quality. That's why you designed them, but it's not the only way to approach this wellness plan that it really is holistic and multifactorial.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We make supplements, we make probiotics, we make vaginal care products, but the, Supplement plan to me really was one of the lesser important parts of it. The nutrition, the food swaps, and those lifestyle changes, sleep, de-stress, detox, sex, vagus nerve, stimulation, movement. Those are the things that you really want to key in on. Of course, like supplements can be helpful. Probiotics is a big part of the plan. I firmly believe that probiotics are like a new multivitamin. Everybody should be taking a probiotic every day because of all of the things that we've talked about, right? The things that we're doing, the things that we're encountering, lots of stuff can disrupt the microbiome. And so probiotic can be really, really helpful, but baseline, what's more important is resolving your gut health issues. And you do that by identifying what is inflammatory for you, right? And so an elimination diet is a critically important part of this. What I really love about the diet plan and love yourself well, is that it's not super restrictive. You can still have white rice on the plan. You can still have certain types of goat cheese, things like that. And so it's not a plan that's put in place for weight loss. It's a plan that's put in place to help reduce and heal inflammation and ultimately help you identify what those triggers are for you. And So when you want to bring things back in, when you're testing things out, the whole point of an elimination diet is so that when you do eat something that is bothersome to your system, you get a big reaction because like, let's say you have a problem with dairy. If you eat dairy every single day, your whole life, that inflammatory reaction is going to be less noticeable because you're experiencing it constantly it sort of becomes your new normal. But if you remove the thing, then on week four, you have a little bit of it. Your body is going to really tell you in a loud way, Hey, I have a problem with this. And that's really the point of an elimination diet. Ultimately is you restore your gut health. You heal a lot of the inflammation that's going on, and you are ultimately able to identify what some of those inflammatory triggers are for you.
0: I also really appreciate how you broke the plan into what feels like very doable steps. Mm -hmm. You don't say on week one, here's how you live your perfect life. You say on week one, here's where you start to look at where are the things that might be contributing to not being as well as you could be.
2: Yeah, we, we put the plan together. My friend, she's a certified nutritionist. Her name is Janine Higby. She did a lot of work on the plan and she specifically focuses on women's health, fertility, pregnancy. And so it was sort of created with that eye. And she said, you know, when I have people come to me, I always start them on a plan that builds week by week, because you can't expect people to instantly modify their behavior. And, you know, go so extreme right away. (laughs) And so I thought it was really brilliant that she has the plan build week over week, right? And week one is it's a prep week. You try to taper off caffeine. You do a household clean out of obvious toxins that, you know, we know causes problems. You set a consistent waking time every day. You have an orgasm. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) (laughs) What is easy? Then week two, you start to get more into uh, some of the nutrition stuff and you build on the movement. You build on the healthy sleep patterns like that.
1: I think that also helps build consistency as well. Like you said, it's very doable. It's not extreme. You build on it from week to week. It's not asking you for crazy ingredients to create meals. These are things that you could easily do at home, even for me who doesn't cook at all. (laughs) It is, it's very doable and it's not restrictive. So I think it lends to continuing it versus having this extreme change of lifestyle that's hard to maintain when you've, like Lauren said, you've been doing the same thing your entire life. And so these easy steps makes it something that will hopefully turn into a lifestyle change. Well, on that
0: note, I just want to thank you both for being on Read, Talk, Grow, for talking about your forthcoming book, Love Yourself Well. I'm excited for it to be in the hands of our listeners and for it to continue to destigmatize talking about women's health issues. Thank you again.
2: Thanks, Dr. Milstein.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you for joining us to talk books and health today on Read, Talk, Grow. To continue the conversation and send comments, visit the show notes or email us at readtalkgrow at mayo.edu. Read Talk Grow is a production of Mayo Clinic Press. Our producer is Lisa Speckhard-Pask, and our recording engineer is Rick Andreessen. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and judgment. Information presented is not intended as medical advice. Please contact a healthcare professional for medical assistance with specific questions pertaining to your own health if needed. Keep reading everyone.